Welcome to Tech Junior. Hey everybody, welcome back uh, to the show. It's been it's been a while. It's been a couple months. Uh, we took a break because of just the the world and 2020 and yeah, the coronavirus. So uh, we have a special episode today. We are talking to a recruiter, uh, Javier Dutan, uh, that we talked to uh, back in, I think, March or April. And he really dives into, you know, what it takes to get hired in this market and what he's seeing on his end as a recruiter. So I think there's a lot of really great info in here. And we also talk a little bit about uh, minorities and Latinx and tech and uh, techeria. So stay tuned and I think you're going to love it. All right. On with the show. Welcome to Tech Junior. My name is Lee Work Junior. I'm a full stack JavaScript developer. Have with me as always, Eddie. Hey, it's Eddie. I'm a front end developer. And we got a special guest today. We got Javier Dutan. Javier, if you could introduce yourself. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm a senior technical recruiter for a startup called Hire Llama. Nice. Cool. Welcome. Hey, uh, can you uh, start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So um, I I've been in the startup space or um, SMB space since I was 16. Um, I initially started with restaurants. Um, started a family restaurant business uh, and that was like a uh, bed and breakfast type of thing. And that failed horribly. Um, you know, <laughs> that was my, that was my start of my startup career. Um, you know, that told me a lot of things like don't work with family or if you're going to work with family, <laughs> have a structure. Uh, but yeah, it was a really fun experience, especially being in high school. I was able to see like, you know, handle transactions, do everything from like business creation to like getting customers and all that. But um no, after that, like, um, you know, I've always been into the tech space. So um, in like college, I was into Bitcoin. I did a lot of mining. I had a startup there that got Aqua hired and then the company that bought us out actually failed. So I don't know if that was a success or not. Um, and then, um, you know, I just went back into the more startup space. I had a, um, a restaurant payments company for a while and that was venture back. That did pretty well. Um, fortunately, we tried to do a freemium. A model and we made almost no money. So, you know, after getting like 12,000, 13,000 restaurants in our system, we, we closed our doors. Um, and yeah, from, from that, I've been into, uh, I've been, I tried to do a development, like a software development agency and, you know, marketing and all that. And, uh, I hated that. Like I, I never really enjoyed like managing, like teams of developers and all that like we, we made really good sales but it was just that it wasn't fun being like a um a dev shop in that sense but um you know at the end of that we actually um you know we um we had a bunch of talent all completely vetted by us you know every all the partners in the company were american um and you know we had to see where do we do with these um you know these really good developers that we've spent a lot of time nurturing and you know that's when we came up with the magic idea of becoming recruiters and we placed pretty much everyone that was in our company with uh, a startup in the New York space or the Washington space. And we've been doing that since 2019. And now I'm here. Um, I did forget to mention that I, I used to do software um, development. I was in the Microsoft stack. So I've experienced doing, you know, um, UWP apps, um, working with C sharp and ASP, but I was never really good at it. So, 
that's why that's also why I'm a recruiter. Interesting. Right. Yeah. Um. So, did you get a computer science degree? Um, where did the uh, interest in technology and programming come in? Uh, no, I never got this computer science degree, but, um, okay. like in high school, I would, uh, do like Wix websites for like my mom or like friends and family <laughs> make like a few dollars off of that. Um, nice. I took a computer engineering class in like, I think it was like computer science 101 and I got like a D, okay. um, which was very surprising. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, um, I don't know. I, I was never really good at it. I was actually really good with numbers. So I, you know, I actually have a full accounting degree. I'm just a couple of credits away from applying for a CPA if I wanted to. Um, okay. Yeah, but um, you know, that kind of like is where I continue doing techie stuff. Like I would just build WordPress websites when I had time, um, and then that kind of led to the Bitcoin thing. So I was really into that when like people were buying Bitcoin with pizzas, and oh, okay. um, yeah, like I remember buying like a couple of pie of pizzas for a Bitcoin meetup group in uh, New York City. But back then, the Bitcoin was like a couple pennies each. So, so how many, how much Bitcoin did you have when it went crazy? Quite honestly, I don't remember. Like, I've, I've held a decent amount when it okay. went crazy. But, um, you know, I divested most of it into like, I would say, um, like altcoins. So, like, <laughs> as you know, most of altcoins have collapsed in value. So, Anything that was there is pretty much worthless now. Okay. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> so um, just looking through your bio on, on uh, LinkedIn and stuff, uh, where did the uh, building a restaurant POS come in? So th that's the, um, that's the restaurant software Okay. Um, that we, you know, we got venture backed and all that. And um, that was pretty much, I, I, like when I was in my, you know, still in college, I was like, maybe I want to be a developer. Um, I started coding with C sharp and, um, you know, following all like those, um, those Microsoft, uh, videos, MSDN. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, I was, I became like a huge surface fanboy, and I went to their store. I looked for the Microsoft for like just a rest, a regular restaurant POS. So we could use it in the, in the business and they didn't have it. So then I decided to build our, our own end. Um, our, we made the first version really, really well. It, it was super simple. It was fast. My CTO is actually from Orlando. So, um, okay, cool. yeah, that's, uh, I was in New York. We, we met on the MSDN channel and, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of how we did it. We would always test it in my parents' restaurant or one of our customers. And then we did the, you know, the great mistake of outsourcing and <laughs> everything went downhill after that tech wise. So just for reference, a POS system is not like pizza, you know what is point of sale, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's that's like the waiters and waitresses uh, like have a touch screen in the back that they tap in the order for uh, the table that they're they're waiting on. Yep, yep, that's the one we we've had. Um, uh, Microsoft has this really cool thing, or um, called the UWP, the Universal Windows Platform. So we were able to give people tablets before Androids were doing it. Um, we had it running on Xbox. We did some IoT um, cool things and put it like, you know, big giant, like 55 inch um, panels for drive throughs. Uh, we were, we had a lot of fun with it. Um, unfortunately, it was a very expensive company to run. We were burning a lot of money every month. Um, yeah. That's cool. Um, so did that 
your um, work with the restaurants and stuff? How did that transition into restaurant tech meetups? Uh, that was just a hobby, quite honestly. Um, okay. In New York, or I mean, in general, in the United States, like software for restaurants is a ginormous business, but people really don't put that much attention to it. Um, traditionally, it was because, you know, the only way to get restaurant business is to literally go door to door. So like in, for example, for like a, um, when we were doing our startup, our, our customer acquisition cost was a little over $1,400. That includes like the salespeople, the time and the incentives. But if you look at like credit card companies that are trying to get restaurants to take like their credit card machine, their customer acquisition costs were 1000 or $1,200. And then you look at like unicorns, like Toast uh, point of sale, their customer acquisition costs are like three or $4,000. But um, you know, at the end of the day, like the lifetime value of a customer was like 20 grand. So like this small acquisition cost wasn't a big deal. But um, a lot of investors are really like afraid of using manpower to go door to door. Like it's, it's, it's a very, you know, not investor friendly place. So out of that, we decided to start hosting our own meetups and there was a huge demand. So like, you know, we opened one in San Francisco, we had one in Dallas, New York, Denver, and it's really just a casual, like, Hey, let's hang out and talk about the restaurant industry. And if you know any investors, let's share connections. Um, and from that, we've actually like restaurant tech meetup. We've, we know a lot of like the really big, um, restaurant tech startups now, like we've met the DoorDash people, we know, like the get bento. Um, a lot of the people like have gone through our events or like pitched at our events, but that's more like a hobby. We never really monetize that besides like a 10 or $20, like event ticket. Okay, cool. Interesting. I'm kind of curious about, um, the transition into like recruiting. So it sounds like you had an agency for a while and you were kind of, I guess, herding cats, you know, developers here and there, you know, clients kind of managing the whole thing sounds stressful, uh, but then jumped into recruiting. So um, you said that was kind of like a natural transition. Uh, what skills transferred into like recruiting? Um, so I think anyone that wants to be a recruiter first and foremost needs to be a really good salesman or like a people person because um, I mean, like at least in the U S like having someone, you know, quit their job to go to another company. That's like a, that's a really big pitch. That's a huge ask. So, um, you know, it, it was natural for us to get like clients and we already had a Rolodex of companies that needed tech solutions. Um, so I think, you know, just getting the clients was a really easy transition. And then, um, you know, having all these people on payroll and like trying to survive as a company, even though we were profitable, we just didn't enjoy it. Um, so, you know, we were very, very motivated to get out of the business. And, uh, you know, as, as soon as you start seeing like the commissions that recruiters make, you're like, whoa, this is amazing. Like I got all this <laughs> money for just like finding you and talking to you and saying, you're going to make a lot of money at this company. Um, like th that was kind of like our first like toe in the water, but obviously the more we've done it, the more it's become complex and it's, it's actually a very intensive process. Um, in that case with all of our talent, like we already had it vetted, but if you look at it, we probably spent hundreds of hours working with our people and like making sure they're good. Cause e even at our company, we had like, you know, we'd hire fast developers and we get rid of them fast if they didn't like live up to standards or their code was very sloppy and all that. Okay. So that, that kind of begs the question, like, how do you vet a developer? So yeah, a do you, do you sit down and code with them or do you have people that do that? Or like, what's the, 
what's your kind of like process for weeding out like what a good developer is versus a bad one? And I imagine you, you have to keep that to a short amount of time, right? Um, let's see. So I would say, for example, right now, like when I put up a position, I probably get like a hundred applicants and I'd say 60 of them are junior, like too junior for, for the position. Or, you know, there's like some, some companies that want like 10 years of Swift experience, even though Swift's only a couple years old. Like there's, (laughs) you see a lot of that. Classic. Yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah. Um, but realistically, um, you know, tech skill wise, you know, that it, there is an easy way to do it. So I'll, I'll come at it at a couple angles. Um, one soft skills is really important. So, um, you do get a lot of toxic developers, which, you know, back in the day, like 10 years ago, like if you were a toxic developer, most companies would put up with you cause you made amazing code or something, but that's not the case anymore. Like you can't be toxic. You can't be like, you know, top developer or like if you've seen that meme where like the raccoons like don't touch my trash <laughs> oh the possum i love yeah. that meme <laughs> i love it and it's it's kind of what like old school um developers would be or like i don't know the stereotypical one that... i've i've always taken that to mean like i wrote my code and i know it's garbage but <laughs> please don't attack it you know what i mean like like leave me alone it works like we'll we'll come back and circle back and improve it later <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, there, there is a toxic culture with, I mean, it like most of most of the population doesn't know anything about code. So, if you could just like you know, convince them that you know how to do computer stuff, they would probably trust you. But then, like, if you get like another developer coming in to check it, then you become like the possum. Like, don't touch it. Like, this only works for me. It doesn't work for anyone else. Um, like that. That's kind of a, a culture that was back in the day um it's it's changed a lot now so a lot of developers soft skill wise like you know most companies aren't going for people like that like they're not putting up with that whatever like my code only i can do it no one else can do it i have job security now it's like you know i need you to be a team person a people person because someone's going to check your code and make sure it's good and that we don't have to change it in like six months um so that's a big thing like we look for people that are very empathetic because if you if you go into code and you think about that, okay, this is my code, but um, I may not be at this job in two or three years, so I need someone else who takes over that understands it, and it's only one loop instead of seven or eight, and I'm not just nice. here typing away. So that, that's a big thing. We do a lot of empathy um, lookups. We do personality tests. Um, that's cool. We spend a lot of yeah. time. Uh, culture that's, is a huge thing. Like, that's I, not something I, I wouldn't I've never say. heard from a recruiter before. Yeah, I don't think a lot, a lot of recruit, like I said, recruiters first and foremost are salespeople. So you don't really yeah. need to be too technical or too like soft skilly. Like, you know, and, and like there's been cases where I found like the perfect talent in like the first day of recruiting. And like some, some recruiters get really lucky. They find like the right fit. It hits the ground. But if you don't, like you have to do a lot of, uh, a lot of the stuff I'm telling you to get to make sure you get the right person. Okay. So can you kind of hone in on like what jumps out at you as like a toxic developer and kind of how you would screen for, I guess, the inverse of that? Like what speaks to you and tells you like, ah, yes, this person is empathetic. They probably work well with the team. Um, they're, they care enough about the code to ensure that it's readable and maintainable and all that good stuff versus, you know, they're, I guess, jerks or 
only want to work by themselves or don't play well with others or something like that. You mentioned like personality tests and stuff, but is that like multiple choice kind of tests or what's the, what's the process look like? Uh, so yeah, for that, I think, um, you know, we, we have like a very simple, like Google, like form that you fill out and just like kind of tell us about your ambitions, your dreams, like situations where you've done this and that it's, um, it, it's really like a, tell us about you and your life kind of a questionnaire. And that, that gives us like a really good look into what type of person you are. Cause if you're writing it down, you're thinking about it, or at least that, that's my thought process. Um, other red flags I, I see is like, if you go on LinkedIn and you see a developer that is averaging like one or two years at per company, um, in most cases, they're not great developers. They just like stay long enough where they can like kind of coast and do their code. And, you know, a year later, someone finds out it's garbage and has to redo it. Like those, um, you, that's a kind of like a warning sign. I see that a lot. So hmm. let me dig into that one a little bit. Yeah. Um, in like a three year career, I mean, is that like a big deal or is this like over 10 years and like every year they're jumping or, Cause like the average tenure of a developer is not that long to be honest. So I would say like, if you look at it over like a 10 year thing and you see like five or six positions with those, those, with those time, I, is there's always scrutiny. Um, I would say I, I also look at where they're working. Cause like if they're working like at a, um, like a dev shop and you see them jumping every year and a half or year, then that's like a huge warning sign. Cause dev shops like. You can get away with a lot at dev shops, but you won't be, you won't be able to get away with that. Like at a good company, you know, what do you mean by at a dev, dev shop, shop is like a, yeah. Is that like an agency or yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Like agencies usually like, there's always like a time, like a time crunch, like we need this now, or like they'll let developers just do whatever, as long as the customer's happy so they could build more hours. Um, dev shops for the most part aren't, there, there are really good ones, um, but for the most part, a lot of dev shops do, you know, don't put too much QA alert, especially like the overseas ones. Like uh, half the time you get a cheap dev shop, they're pretty much training on you. Hmm. Okay. So um, kind of job history and I guess uh, personality or soft skills. Um, what else are you looking for? Um. You know, we, we look to see if they have like any videos up or like, you know, basic social media, like research. Like, really? Um, okay. Yeah. Like if, you know, if, um, if you're a serious candidate, I'll just type your name in on, on Google, look at the news section, see if you had like any like DUIs or anything showing up. Like this is all public information. This is really easy. Yeah. Um, or like if your Facebook shows up, cause like I've had a situations where like I've seen developers like found their Facebook after like 10 seconds of searching Google. And like, they have like really weird shit on their Facebook or they have racist stuff. <laughs> wow. Like yeah. I've seen, um, I've seen a lot of things. So like just basic know-hows is kind of like any red flag for like a typical person is also red flag for like a developer. That makes sense. Interesting. How much, um, like, so obviously don't have, you know, a checkered past, um, don't. <laughs> Don't get in trouble with the law. Don't, don't. post radical, like inflammatory stuff on social media. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought because it's so wild thinking <laughs> about this. But um, like how much personal brand are you looking for? Like, are you looking for positive stuff? Like, oh, they make YouTube tutorials or they do a podcast like, you know, us knuckleheads or 
like do they do blog posts or is that a factor? Or are you mainly looking for like the opposite of that where they're, you know, kind of radical or, or whatever? So um, I guess for my client base, they're always, all my clients are like high tech companies, um, mostly startups with like series A, series B. Um, so they, so they love people that are self learners that are motivated to become better. So like, you know, if we were looking at your profile, we see that you have the podcast, you have a really good LinkedIn, you have a ton of positive um, social media. So like you're like, in terms of like other developers, like you rank higher in like desirability and like, because you rank higher, you can always like request a higher paycheck or request to work at a better company. Um, so it does help you professionally to be out there and, you know, doing things. Um, but in general, like, you know, it's, it's always good to do your research for hiring. Cause you know, it is like getting married. So it's, it's good okay. to know that. And, um, I would say like more traditional companies like finance and all that, they probably want people that are more reserved because like their culture is like very different. Like if, you know, if you look at it, like a lot of banks are like C sharp ASP, um, you know, shops and those average developers are a little older, like forties and above. Okay. All right. I was waiting for you to say like they're slower or they're not as motivated <laughs> or something. I was kind of waiting for the hate mail to start flowing in. Yeah. No, I, everyone works differently. Um, I, I used to be, I would say not, I used to have a, a, a notion of like, you know, developers who are parents, but I became a parent like uh, less than a year ago and I, I get it. I understand why you need to run home to pick up your kids or why you can't work this hour, but you'll work at like 11 to 2 a.m. Like it's, I understand it. It's a struggle. So I empathize with that now. I, I didn't know about it before, but it's um it's a very real thing. That's a big wake up, Paul, right? It's the, the struggle is real. You know, yeah. hour of sleep here, hour of sleep there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a quick question. What do you, what is a series A and series B startup? So, um, when, you know, startups, um, when they, when they go out to like venture capital or like private equity or angel money, um, mm -hmm. they do it based on rounds. So, um, you know, back in the day, it used to be just like seed round, um, series a, which is like the big round where you get millions of dollars, series B where you get like tens and series C where you get like hundreds of millions. Um, so, but now, nowadays, cause like everyone's getting, uh, venture funded, you have pre-series, um, pre-seed, which is like a couple hundred thousand. Then you have seed, which is now a few million. Then you have series A, which is like usually 15 to 30. Series B, which is like above 30 million. And series C, which is 100 plus or something like that. And um, it basically means that this company has a lot of money to burn. So if you're a developer, you're going to get a ton of money, a lot of perks. And you might exit out with a huge, um, like a really good stock options um, worth a couple hundred thousand dollars if the company goes big. That's cool. So tell me about, um, I guess the, the stability in a startup based on like where it's funding is at. is there any correlation at all? Like, Oh, this place is series B, like that's a good place to go. Or, uh, they, they're just, you know, they just got their seed money. So they're not really going anywhere yet. Is that like a factor or is that how it works? Or yeah. What do you think about that? It's like a, it's like the cool, cool guy thing. So like when I, when my company got like, um, a seed round of a really a, a large amount, you know, it's like a bragging, right? Like, oh yeah, my company has done this. It's kind of like my dad could beat up your dad type of thing. <laughs> so it's, um, you know, it, it's sexy. Like, you know, I, I, like I've seen Silicon Valley, like the, the TV show and people are like, yeah, I have a series B company. And like the girls are like swooning over them. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
like that that's kind of the thing like startups and startup developers they love the fact that yeah i've worked at google i worked at tesla etc cetera, etc cetera. It's, it's a status symbol interesting does that play into um aside from like bragging rights mm-hmm. is there more security like am i more likely to get laid off at a seed round company versus like a series a yes yes seed um a seed well, Yes and no. It really depends like how transparent the CEO or like the founding team is with their finances. But, um, you know, like a seed, a seed company probably has a couple hundred thousand dollars raised. So they, they have a short lifespan. And if they don't get the product out well and get paying customers or get venture capital, then they're likely to fail within like six months, um, or however long they have cash for. So that's, that's kind of like a trickier one. A lot of developers shy away from seed if it's too early. But like if you have, if you're at a Series A, you know the company has like a million bucks in the bank, so you're like you're good for at least a year. And um, hmm. you know if they have Series B, a couple like probably tens of millions in the bank. So th- there is job stability there. But um, I think most people that work at startups understand that if they're not profitable and they're going like for funding round, funding round, then this may be like a four or five year career instead of like a ten year career, you know, or like a two or three year career. Interesting. Do you see any current trends in the market? Um, I know like there's the coronavirus and I see lots of layoffs and stuff on Twitter. Uh, some of my friends have been laid off. So what's the landscape look right right now as far as like being a recruiter and working with these companies? Oh, I have, I have a lot to say for that. Please, um, please tell us. Yeah. All right. So um, I guess let's start on the American side. A lot of junior developers and like junior to mid-level developers are getting laid off. Um, you know, the price is too high essentially from what we're seeing. So what does that mean? Like the price of a junior developer is too high? Yeah. The price of a developer is, is, is too high. Um, what I mean by that is like globalization, work from home. Like you're starting to see companies that like, why should I pay this junior developer like 70, 80 grand after taxes when I could get someone in India or Ukraine or Latin America for 20 a year or 30 a year. So you're seeing oh, okay. you're seeing that go globalization is taking over developer roles, especially junior, uh, right now. And really. that's because people are remote. Yeah, coronavirus like completely accelerated that. Like our demand for for like developers that are like fifteen twenty an hour have spiked tremendously. Huh. Uh, especially mm-hmm. from like wow. venture funded companies. Uh, so I, I would say if anyone's listening to this, if you're a junior developer, like immediately start getting better. Like improve your code, like do as much GitHub as your stuff as you can, because you need to transition to medium or senior as soon as possible, because that's where all the money is right now. Um, and that's my second point. Um, mid-level is kind of in a weird spot. There is demand, but um, senior level and like even just being a really good mid-level candidate is in huge demand right now, because American companies are like, you know, they're, they're making their their uh, remote teams more efficient. So they don't want to have like 20 people. They'd rather have 10 really solid people. Um, and others that are growing really need like a really, really good senior, uh, senior developer or architect or lead. So there's a, there's a big spike in um, senior talent demand, big spike in like really good, like mid-level engineer that has like good prospects is a good, great person. Uh, junior, I would say is probably where you're going to see a lot of layoffs soon. Um, I've, I've kind of started to see that. Yeah. And just to, just to kind of throw out a, I guess, generalization about what you're saying. Um, 
I would venture that like whenever the market is unstable, uh, junior developers are like the first position that is going to get the axe. Um, it seems like no matter what happens, if you're like a senior level person, you're a 10 year person or whatever, there's always somebody that's like, oh yeah, we need this person to, you know, save us or be our architect or whatever. But mm-hmm. there's always like, as soon as there's any sign of trouble, it's like, well, let's not take the risk on the junior developer. Do you think that's true? Oh, that's hundred percent true. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, like I, I talked to a lot of like VPM engineerings and they like junior developers cause they like to like train talent in house that would stay for a few years. Cause you get an ROI after a few months. Um, but you know, in, in this climate, like financial climate, it's not like there, there's no reason to take the risk or to, you know, reason to deplete your bank account. If you you don't know if this is going to be like a two year recession or like a, a three year or six month recession or whatever. So that's, that's a big one. Um, I, I will say there is some, there is some positive news on that side. Like if you're like a junior developer, you can easily go into like Salesforce engineering or like Tableau, like the data analytics and data science parts. Cause that's still like an area where like you really can't outsource cause like people are still figuring it out. So the transition there, um, I, I have a big list of people that want Salesforce engineers right now. Um, and then, you know, if you go into government contracting companies, like they, they, they can only work with American company, uh, American, like us citizens. Cause that's like the right. stipulation. So there's that defense contractors, um, nonprofits usually don't outsource. They try to like hire work in the country they're in. So there's, there, there is upsides as well. Circling back to, um, you're talking about junior versus senior, um, two points there. First, you said, uh, when a company hires a junior, like they're doing it because they can get an ROI after a couple months and they tend to stay longer. Is that like something that you see in general or is that what companies are telling you? I've, I've been a recruiter for a little over a year, so that's what I've been hearing. Okay. And I'm also hearing from a lot of like the senior level engineers that I'm like placing and like they don't want to join companies with a lot of junior developers because they don't want to like spend a lot of time mentoring or babysitting is what they say. Really? <laughs> yeah, I've heard I've heard that a lot, especially with like high caliber developers. I'm I'm curious that if of, that plays into your empathy check for a developer. Because, yeah, that kind of sucks. Um, it, it does. Um, I usually don't place those people, or I try to understand like what exactly they want because maybe it's not a good fit. Um, uh-huh. but, I mean, but my 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 clients right now are demanding only mid and senior. Like, there's there's no I don't have any requests for junior developers right now. Right. Mm. And so that brings me to my second point, which is you gave some advice that was basically don't be junior. And I've heard that advice before and I kind of get it like, you know, work on your skills, do whatever you can to kind of make yourself more attractive to an employer. But how does that show up to you? Like what, what, when you look at a resume and say like, you know, the person has a year of experience or like somewhere around there, what differentiates that person from being like a mid-level or a junior or whatever? what kind of stuff are you looking for or what would bump that person from one level to the next? So I think um, a lot of things junior developers are are still new is like, you know, they don't, they haven't done like architecture or they haven't like built full systems or they may just be, um, you know, like a back end or they may be just a front end. Like um, as soon as you start seeing full stack, like I think that's when you start becoming like mid-level, I would say. And you've had like a few positions, like a few, you know, employment opportunities or, I mean, if, if I see a developer profile, that's like maybe one or two years, I would still consider that junior. But if I see that he built like five apps 
and won pitch competitions and all that, then I, that's a strong contender to be, you know, classified as mid. And in, in those cases, I usually just get that developer and try to vet them and see if they're a good match. Cause like, I, I guess there's another thing that we could say about people that are junior is that if you're junior and you're not doing a lot of work and like trying to promote yourself or get like out there, that's also like a telltale sign of like how good of a developer you're going to eventually evolve to. Interesting. That, that makes sense. So you're saying if you see somebody that doesn't have a lot of experience, but then they're not really, I don't know, maybe they're not getting into as many hackathons or they're not, you know, working on a bunch of side projects or anything like that. That kind of speaks to you, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that, that does. Interesting. So work on your GitHub so, heat map. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Do you look at GitHub heat maps? That's always a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of clients that just say, Hey, give me their, their resume and give me their GitHub. That's all I want. Oh, and they wow. just like, look at the code. They get like three engineers. They do um, round Robin and each of them check the code. And then they actually do the interview. Not all companies, but a lot of my customers do that. Interesting. So they look at the candidates like public GitHub repositories. Mm-hmm. Huh? And now I feel bad because I have like a bunch of projects on there that yeah. are like <laughs> crap code and stuff. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, going back to uh, another thing you mentioned was um, you said there's a lot of data science opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of skills are you looking for with that? Is it like, oh, this this candidate knows Python and they've done like a little bit of Pandas or something or like how in depth does that experience go? Yeah, like Python, R, MATLAB, like. You know, you obviously need to know that. So there's like a bunch of schools like Mattis, um, data science school, whatever. But if you, if you learned how to do like integrations and APIs and like, you could do like all these cool, like data scraping stuff, like you're already ahead of the game in data scientists. Cause, um, a lot of data scientists don't really know how to code too much either, or, or they're behind on like logic and, or like even building apps or whatever. It's like, if you could blend both of those together, then, you know, you're good and you could throw like Tableau or Salesforce into your resume then like you're in a good position to get a job right now. So Salesforce um, is a good skill for like a data science engineer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. What exactly um, is Salesforce? Cause I've heard it a lot and I honestly don't know what it is. Uh, that's like a really advanced, like sales CRM, um, like fortune 500s use it. it. It handles almost everything. It's really easy to plug into, but it is very developer heavy. So like, you know, a marketing person can get in there. Like you need to have like an architect, like figure out how everything is going to get connected. If you code it in then like, you know, you're, you have a lot of job safety. CRM is like customer relational something. Yeah. Customer relationship manager management. That's it. One okay. of those. So it, it basically like manages, um, like user accounts and stuff for a company. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it does. And then, okay. It, you can get crazy with like the data, like um, chief behavioral scientists or like CIOs or whatever. Like they'll take all the data from like Salesforce and then they'll try to see like where there's correlations or where they could get like an extra 0.2, 0.3% of profit. Um, it gets it gets nuts, man. Like people, like once you get to like a high level, like 0.1% of like improved net revenue is like a couple hundred thousand dollars or millions of dollars. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that there was that much... Um data, I guess, to leverage that you could use for like analytics or something from uh, Salesforce. And, and that's the thing, like, like you don't know what you're, fi- you're going to find, but most of the times you pay someone like 300 grand to be a chief behavioral officer. 
they're going to find something and it's going to have an ROI. Interesting. Do you, uh, do you look for any kind of projects from like a data science candidate? Oh yes, absolutely. I look for, um, any work they've done with, uh, Tableau, if they've done any Salesforce integrations, any Microsoft BI work, Microsoft BI is also in huge demand. A lot of people, I don't know why a lot of developers don't do it, but when I find it, like it's, it's a pretty easy placement. I don't even know what that is. So yeah. um, <laughs> Microsoft business intelligence. Okay. Okay. So is that like part of Azure or something or? Yeah, it's part of Azure, but it's like pretty much, um, it's like a super sweet, like decked out, um, like graphs and pie charts and like there's machine learning built into it. Like it's, it's hmm. like, it's really, really cool. It's interesting. Cool. I, uh, so just so the audience knows, uh, we met at a conference uh, flashback conference uh what like how long ago was that was that january was in... that was february i believe february, february my friend yeah. so um we met because you invited me to a meetup uh, uh techaria uh, i just wanted to know if you can uh talk about it a little bit and because you're one of the founders or you started it is that right um no so i i would say i'm probably in the second wave of like founders or whatever you want to call it okay um, it was started by David, Felipe, and um, Francis, like one from New York, from LA, and from San Francisco. But um, basically, it's like the largest Latinx, um, you know, developer community or tech community. And it's um, it's filled a need where like, there, you know, in the, in the Latinx space or the Latin space or whatever, there's every city has like 10 different like tech groups, but they usually fail or they like, grow really fast and then people get stuck figuring out where it's going. But um, surprisingly, Techaria did not do that. Like they grew and they were able to grow more. And like now they're international. They're in Mexico too. Um, really, it's just a community. Like um, if you, when you guys have a chance, like sign up, you can see job postings, post jobs, talk to other people. It's a very inclusive community. But um, at the end of the day, you know, we just want to connect, um, you know, people of color and in our case, Latinx people with developer jobs because, um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if like, I don't, I don't know the exact number, but most people that go to um, like code academies or coding schools, like they're usually minorities, it, either being girl or person of color or whatever. Um, so, you know, we, as a community, we are not in like the mid or senior level developer. Like there's not a lot of representation. So yeah. in this community, we kind of like help each other find jobs and also help like, you know, uplift each other. Cause if you don't see that many people like you in the workforce, you're like, Hey, why isn't, why aren't my people here? Yeah, definitely. Um, that's cool. So how large is it? Uh, the one in Orlando just started. I think that was the first meeting, right. That, um, that we went to in February. Yeah. So it's, um, I think there's like 16, like big chapters and a bunch of like small ones that are like testing the waters. Okay. Um, in terms of users or, I mean, like members over 6,000 right now that are on the Slack okay. channel, I don't, I don't know the exact number that like are on newsletters or total that are part of the community. But if, if you, 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 um, I'll send you the link right sign after up this. To the Slack. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Eddie, are you on the Slack? No, I'm not. I need to do that. I, know <laughs> that. I got right like emails after, um, thanking me. And I also offered to speak at one of the meetups. Um, so just after, you know, all this stuff going on now, it's kind of hard to do that, but, um, I, I'd like, yeah, I was going to ask if the, point. uh, if yeah. the meetup is still happening or if the coronavirus put like a damper on that or I, they're, 
coronavirus sucks. Like there's literally yeah. everything is <laughs> stopped. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Um I mean we, we, we were talking to the mayor um of Orlando and a few other people of doing like a big event to kinda like promote like you know, the Latinx people that are senior like in senior positions or like business leaders and all that to kind of give the younger community like, oh hey, this is what I can aspire to be, like, you know, but um everything's on pause right now. I don't even think there's gonna be events until like at least November. Wow, wow November. really? Yeah, like, um, for example, like Silicon New York says, like they don't think May is going to be open probably like in June or July. But I don't really see people like going out of their way to be two feet away from each other at an event right now. So it might have to yeah. be everything might be virtual for a bit. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Also, going back to what you said earlier um, about junior developers and um, like boot camps and and that sort of thing. Um, is that just like your observation or have there been like studies that have shown that there's like more minorities and lesser represented groups in those types of schools or? Yeah, there are studies. Um, I've read a few of them. Um, quite honestly, I think it was either from Kapoor Capital or one of them, but um, I did read it. And then uh, I know General Assembly releases like a, like a, a market study survey, whatever. And it kind of breaks down like who their who their um you know their students are, and there was like a large representation of women and minorities on like their, you know their their signups and all that. Interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I I mean I don't know about you, Lee, but in my class it didn't seem that way at all. Maybe it's because of where we live. I don't know, but yeah, it, it could um, be that as well. Yeah, we had some some girls in my class, and they were pretty phenomenal. Um, we did have, I don't know. It was, I mean, it's Orlando. It's kind of an eclectic mix of, of people. Um, it seemed pretty diverse from what I remember, but I can kind of see why you would have a greater representation in like boot camps and stuff. Like those groups probably don't, you know, go to college. Maybe they view it as too expensive or they don't want to take loans out. Um, maybe they went to, you know, an area that didn't have schools that were that hot or whatever. So, um, I mean, it makes sense, but kind of in that direction, like being a recruiter, working with a lot of resumes and kind of being involved with Techaria, um, obviously you want those folks to do better. So like what, I know we've talked a little bit about juniors, but what advice do you have for anybody that's gone through a boot camp or they've gone through this non-traditional route? Like what can they do to stand out and really have a good chance, especially now with, you know, the junior developer jobs kind of drying up? Um, so I would say one thing is have a good GitHub with like just continuously making good projects, good code. Um, like if you do do a GitHub, like do a lot of commenting of like why you did this, why you did that. People check it, you know, they always try to find who's like the, that great developer with like organization skills and all that. Um, having the website's huge. Um, so I'm guilty of this. If you look up my name, I have like a, a website with like a WordPress lorem ipsum. Um, <laughs> I, I need to fill it in, but, um, okay. <laughs> having a, re a really good website, um, with your work, your GitHub link, um, never put your phone or email cause you're, then you'll get spammed by people. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's just like a simple contact form. Uh, make sure your LinkedIn is very clean and has all the work you've done as well as the languages that you're good at. Like never put languages that you don't know or aren't like confident in. Cause like, e even if you're a junior developer and like, 
let's say you hit the ground running, learning um, Angular, and like there's a position open, like a recruiter is going to see that and be like, hey, do you know Angular? Do you know enough like this? Maybe the company is open to like training you for like a month or two or whatever. So um, being very clean is good. Um, a lot of projects, a lot of hackathons. Networking is ginormous because, um, you know, back to the, you know, the beginning of the conversation, you don't, you don't have to be like the best, best developer, like to land like a, a mid-level. But like, if you have like the combination of a really good personality and you're like, you're positioning yourself to get better, um, then you I mean, you kind of fit like the, like on a score chart, like your technical skills is a big, is a big thing, like probably 70, 80%, but then so is your people skills and your soft skills. Interesting. Cool. I need to work on my it, website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As far as the website goes, um, is that a big deal for everybody or only for front end developers or do you have any, any thoughts on that? Uh, it's a big That's deal a for question. everybody. Okay. If you have like a website, um, I mean, I, I don't really have a number, but I would say it's just looks way more professional and like sense. a lot of recruiters, like I, I know how to code a little bit, but like a lot of recruiters don't know anything about coding. They're just really good at like reaching out to people, finding them to them. A website looks amazing. And like, if it's all clean and does everything like they'll, yeah. they'll put you at the top of their list. That makes sense. So not just a website, but a good looking website. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You can find a template or something if you're a backend. Yeah, that, that's yeah, all you that, need. that was my thought. Yeah, I see a lot of developers with um, with uh, not Shopify, Squarespace websites. Okay. Um, a lot of Squarespace. I see some with like ghost blogs. Um, you know, if you have time, like I don't know, tutor other people there about to become developers. Like, you know, just put yourself out there. That's always a good thing. As far as um, networking goes, kind of circling back to the meetup and whatnot, um, what are some good strategies from that? I mean, obviously, go to Techeria, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, whenever that starts back up. Uh, maybe do you have, like, first of all, is there any traditional advice you might have as far as, like, going out and meeting people? But also, since we can't do that now, uh, any tips on maybe how to network without leaving the house? Um, oh, so... Definitely attending like webinars is a good, good way to network. Um, not, not because you could participate because a lot of webinars are just like speakers, but um, you can get like mailing lists and sometimes they, they do like, you know, like happy hours, networking events. Tech Korea does like, like 500 like live events a week now. Like I get so many emails. Um, 500 is a joke, but they, they get, they, they're doing so many events. They do a lot of happy hours. <laughs> Um, we were laughing silently. <laughs> <laughs> do, uh, do you have any um, advice for, I guess, networking on LinkedIn? So LinkedIn is tricky. Um, like, I, I mean, LinkedIn is basically like a narcissist, like heaven. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's aside from like your website, you know, LinkedIn, you need to have a really good LinkedIn and like, you need to be able to brag about all the cool stuff you did. And like, whenever you do something cool again, brag about it. Like say, Hey, I just made this awesome app. It's amazing. Please like it. Look at it. Cause like, I'm very, very bad at doing that. Yeah. And I, I that's also like a, a self-marketing thing. Yeah. 
Like, um, I, I know also um, when I do, I, I pay for LinkedIn recruiter and that's like really like when I do that, like I could even like look up like people's profiles of what certain languages or certain words or whatever. And I think they also help you filter like news posts or feeds or something. So like if you were doing a bunch of stuff, I could also look at LinkedIn and see how many things you published. So that's, that's okay. a good avenue as well. Interesting. So Eddie, you got to get on there and promote the podcast some more. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I should do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I need a new website. And uh, yeah, I have to Two sign demerits. up to the Techaria Slack. I have a whole Ooh, list three of three demerits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a whole bunch of homework after this episode. Um, yeah. Uh, anything else, Lee? Uh, I don't have anything. You have a, a note down here for goals. So is that goals for Techaria? Yeah, it was goals for Techaria. Like. Okay. So I imagine the, uh, the mission is to kind of see more people, uh, represented in those positions and kind of network and help people out. And I guess all are welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, allies are welcome on the page and then like, you know, just introduce yourself, chat and that's really it. It's like, it's a community at this point. And it's, um, usership has exploded by the way, since pen- the pandemic. So like, I oh, think yeah. on, before pandemic, there was like 1,200 people on a day. Now there's probably like 3,000 on the Slack channel a day. Wow. So it's pretty active? It's it's super active right now. Nice. I'm totally going to sign up. Yeah. And then yes. <laughs> look for anything. Like the, there's so many like groups coming out now. Like there's like fantasy football league, like Slack channels. There's like, you know, heritage Slack channels, like it's it's easy to join them and then some of them are like great some of them are not i know forbes just released like their own slack it's, it's complete oh, garbage really? <laughs> <laughs> tear it up i hate their website too i'll just throw it out there yeah i use an ad blocker and uh my css skills are phenomenal and i defeat all of your ad blockers if you're listening so i, I can see your overflow hidden i see your z index 10 billion uh and they fall beneath my my chrome dev tools like <laughs> that's funny lambs to the slaughter so. <laughs> yeah um actually i do recommend one thing for any junior developers um i would say go to like um you know now that a big thing is becoming like you know diversity and all that like there's there's like specialized like tools to find jobs now like you know, there's like the built-in New York City website that has like a lot of like high-paying tech jobs. There's Angel.co, which is a lot of like where like startups find developers or pretty much any type of job. There's um, Power to Fly is like a um, a woman-owned startup that like promotes women developers in like high-tech positions or even junior positions. Um, there's a bunch of services where you could like you know uh, be like a contract engineer for a few hours a month, a week, or whatever. Um, there's, there's so many things out there. So like, you know, if you're having trouble looking for a job, like you might be able to pick up like part-time work as well. Um, awesome. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. There's also like, you know, talk to recruiters, like, um, if you're a good candidate and you're like, you're doing all the stuff I was saying, like any recruiter is going to work, want to work with you. Um, I think nowadays I will say like volume wise, our, our volume dropped like 70% in Japan for like positions. That are, um, and that's mostly because like mid-level has dropped, but like senior level, um, requirements like have increased a ton. 
but wow. overall it's it's a huge drop like we we're we're definitely affected by covid yeah i mean i, I suspected it but hearing you say it is still yeah, shocking 70 percent's like, a lot yeah that's huge and, um I, I will say like the, the clients that i do have right now that are hiring like mid-level engineers they're like they want the cream of the crop like they have to be like a nine out of ten like before you could have been a seven out of ten now, now you have mm-hmm. to be like a nine out of ten because so many people are applying yeah, I imagine the uh, the competition is fierce right now from yeah. all the people being laid off. Yeah, I have a senior Android developer position open right now, and that's gotten like 70 applicants already. It's only been like wow, really? two days. Wow. Usually those are pretty hard to, to source for, right? They are. Like, I'd say out of those 70, 60 are like not qualified or like don't even have like the right skill sets. Like the 10 mm. that I'm filtering out, maybe one's like super qualified and that might be like a, a really fast placement. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Talk, talk to recruiters. Um, I know Orlando has blue wave. I don't know if they do much tech, but I think they have some like .NET, like companies that use old school stuff. Um, I have noticed that companies in Florida, like they're, they're tech tech wise. They're not like as savvy as like San Francisco or New York or Boston company. Tell me more. Uh, tell me all <laughs> about what you have observed about Florida because I, I'm dying to hear it. I, uh, I mean, before like all of this, um, work from home was like not permitted in Orlando for some reason. It's like blasphemy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, um, keep going. <laughs> people are severely <laughs> underpaid in Florida. Oh yeah. Keep going. Um, <laughs> driving socks. Yep. Uh, well, that is a given. Yeah. Like the the code quality of some of these companies is just horrendous. Like, like they're getting developers in there that I'm like, how did you get a job here? <laughs> <laughs> how wait, how do you see the code quality at a at a certain job or a certain company? I I like I when I was like sourcing for talent, like I I just looked at like the big companies in Florida and I looked at the developers and I'm like, huh, you're you're not my cream of the crop. I'm gonna keep looking. Yeah, and like I kept seeing that everywhere, like the KPMGs, like the like the big government contractors, like they they get developers that I'm, I'm sure they're solid, but they're not like like they're not leading like the front lines and being like the cool guys. But like you know, when I see you guys like GDG or and like your podcast and all that stuff, like that's that's talent I want. But you know, I, I don't I don't see that I don't see like the initiative or anything like that with a lot of developers and like the big companies here. Yeah, I know Orlando is kind of a, a tight market. Um, it wants to be a tech hub, but it doesn't seem to put any effort into that. It's just kind of like it makes wishing, no effort, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like, like we wish we were a tech hub, but we're not doing anything to be a tech hub. So yeah, it makes no um, effort. And then like I, I'm not going to say any names, but I've been entrepreneurs in Orlando that are like hiring engineers for like ten bucks an hour in India and trying to sell like you know IoT stuff or like like big super augmented crap like it's it's i'm like this this wouldn't pass like in a big company but i mean i guess i don't know i guess that's the climate here it is a interesting market for sure (laughs) yeah cool so uh javier is there anything that you want to promote aside from you know contact you if you're looking for work um i mean pitch that too you know yeah (laughs) i have a couple (laughs) positions to fill so if you know Ruby on Rails, React, Senior Android Engineer, or VP of Engineering, uh, reach out to me, please. Let me uh, let me hit you up for the uh, the Ruby position real quick. Um, yeah. How much experience do you need for Ruby? Because I know like 
there's not as much demand for it, but there's still like a ton of stuff out there that's written in Ruby. So, so like, is it only senior level Ruby stuff or do you think you could get by with learning a little bit about it and then maybe you'd be a contender? You could get by with um, learning a little bit about it. It's more like if you're front on, if, um, if you're react is strong, then I think they'll, they'll be fine with it. Um, Interesting. There is a very simple like code test, which, um, you know, pretty much recreate Facebook or like their SQL like um, procs. And like, you know, that's, that's like a 20 minute, like code test. We do it on, um, what's that thing called? Coder. It's something. Pad? Huh? Coder pad? Coder pad? Yeah. We like a a 20 minute coder pad. And like, if you do it perfectly, uh, obviously I can't tell you the questions, but if you do it perfectly, then you immediately (laughs) like go to the next round of interviews. Cool. That's, that's what we've been using to filter out people. It's been amazing because it kind of like shows you how you think, how you process, like, how quickly you can do it. Cause like, it's not a hard test. It's a really simple test, which is also another thing. If you're a junior developer, you really know, need to know how to do code tests like on the fly. Cause a lot of people fail those like really fast. Yeah. What, uh, <laughs> is there like anything that is good to study for that kind of thing or, uh, just watch YouTube channels on people that make tests. Like, um, that's usually how the CTOs find that they're like YouTube. How do I make a code test? How do I hire good developers? Excellent. That's a a great tip. (laughs) (laughs) Think like the CTO. So cool. Well, um, I don't have any other questions. I don't know about you, Eddie. No, uh, I think we can go to nerd minute. Nice. So end of every uh, episode, we do a little segment called nerd minute where we talk about movies or books or games or comic books or whatever. So uh, Javier, that you're the guest. Do you have anything that you'd like to share? Um, I've been playing Starcraft a lot. So wow, really? To start one or two? Uh, oh, two. Okay. Two. Yeah, one is insane. I, I don't know how people do it. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you there's still championships in Korea for StarCraft 1. They do. Um, if you have a minute, you should look up StarCraft gambling in Korea. Like, there's a huge, like, really? underground, like, organized crime that does, like, illegal gambling with StarCraft. Wow. Are, are they, like, betting on matches? <laughs> yeah, they're betting on matches. People are throwing them. There's been, like, scandals. People got arrested recently. Oh, my lord. Mm. Yeah, it, it's I insane. Can't believe it. um, I did not know that was a thing. I am my life is enriched knowing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is bananas. I've never played StarCraft two. I played one quite a bit. Um, I really liked it, yeah, but Star- I was out of like PC gaming for a little bit before when two came out. It's it's a fun game. I, I'm not good at it, but I I enjoy it. Cool. That's uh that's the one with the Zerg, right? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I've never uh been a huge real time strategy fan, but um That's the only one I, mean, I, I ever guess, liked. Yeah, I guess if there's one that you're gonna play, I mean StarCraft's probably it. Yeah, and it's free. Is it? Is it really? Yeah, they they came out with the free version like two or three years ago. Oh, I didn't know that. How do they make money off of it then? Do you have to like pay to play other factions or something? Um, they have like a campaign storyline where yeah, you, you pay to pay play different factions, but most of the people just play multiplayer with the vanilla, and that's that's perfectly fine. Huh. Interesting. Mm. You also mentioned uh, I have to bring this up uh, before we uh, <laughs> before we started recording. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Warhammer 40k. So uh, oh, tell me about that. Like what what's your favorite? Uh, like, do you play the the tabletop game or like, how do you, how do you get into Warhammer? Like, what's your, 
what's your mainline drug there? <laughs> so I, I told you I used to be a big Halo fan and like I was reading their books and all that. But um, uh, one day I stumbled upon the Warhammer thing and I was like, this looks silly. Like, like only nerds play this. <laughs> <laughs> I started reading it and I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. Um, usually like people that get into Warhammer start off with Dune. And like, okay. like okay. Warhammer 40k is like Dune, but on steroids and like a bunch of weird shit. Um, but yeah, I just started reading that and then I probably read like 60 books by now from them. Wow. Holy smokes. Yeah. Are they all by the same author? Or? No, no, they're all different authors. So it's like, there's probably like 200 books at least of them. Um, I, I guess what goes, the tabletop is like how they make their money with the plastic figurines. But they have like so many intricate storylines. Like, you know, it's just really cool. Like you can, a lot of people do like home, um, homebrew chapters. Um, and some of the stories are really good. So like it, it just lets your imagination go wild. And like the, the theories that come out of it are really cool. There's a lot of like plot, plot lines and plot holes and like trickery. Um, and it, it's, it's just a really, really cool place to like get, you know, just read. There, there's so much to read. What's uh, since you've read so many, what's one book that anybody that's looking to get into it should read? Um, I think the big ones right now are like the, the Horus Heresy, which is like a 50 book and um, like it kind of sets the foundation of like how the whole setting became. And that's really, really interesting. It's like it just it's kind of like um, they, they basically ripped off a of dune and they also basically ripped off of like Angel's Gate or something like that. And like it combines like basically it, it follows like Christian mythology where like, you know, the the holy emperor was Jesus and he died for your sins, like to the archangel. Huh. Okay. Yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, I get sucked into it. I'm a, I'm a big sucker for that. I'm not sure if it's for everybody, but I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting that you say like, oh, man, Warhammer, what is this garbage? This is for nerds. And then like immediately transition to massive Warhammer nerd. Yeah. <laughs> <So, laughs> Was you just started reading one book and you're like, this is excellent. Yeah. I'm hooked. I, um, I read one book and then I just watched like the YouTube videos and like the theories and like some of the theories that like the plot, like the authors came up with, like are just really, really interesting. They're not like too cheesy or too like, it's also like, it's not like a, uh, some people call it like a bright type of thing. Like it's, there's a lot of grim darkness in it, like realistic hmm. stuff. So it's, it's, I mean, it checks off the my boxes for taste. Interesting. Hmm. Have you ever played like the tabletop game or any of the video games? Um, no, I, I was thinking of actually doing the tabletop now because, um, you know, we have a lot of time. Like I'm always at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but um, also, what's his name? Calvin. What's Superman actor again? Who? Superman actor. Yeah. Henry oh, Henry Cavill. Um, Henry Cavill. Oh, yes. Henry Cavill. Yeah. So Henry Cavill is a Warhammer fan, too. Really? Oh, yeah. really? I hear I he's like, really into video games or whatever. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a huge PC guy, and he does Warhammer. And like yeah. the day that he said like he was painting Warhammer figurine, like the Warhammer community went crazy and started like drawing pictures of him as Jesus and all that. <laughs> <laughs> I would have thought they would have drawn him as like a space Marine or something, but uh, that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. He's, I mean, he's, uh, it's a big, I think a lot of guys would 
would question their sexuality if Henry Cavill was in the room. <laughs> that is something. Um, so my, my buddy actually reached out uh, and he is a big, um, he's always been a big nerd, but he recently got into Warhammer and sort of like buying and painting figurines. And um, he was like hitting me up this morning. He's like, Lee, you're a web designer. Uh, can you, can you do logos for my, my Warhammer figurines? And I was like, Oh wow. Uh, no, but um, I know a guy. So Eddie, if you're interested in that side gig, uh, hit me up. He said, uh, name your price. So. All right, cool. I'm sure you can knock out a logo. You're, you're pretty good at that. Yeah. Um, yeah, he went down the rabbit hole <laughs> <laughs> and then there were two fans now uh eddie what do you got for nerd minute uh so i started watching the show on adult swim called primal hmm. you heard of it primal yeah so um it, it it's about a caveman and um i think i saw a preview for this yeah it's really cool it, there's so there's no dialogue because he's a caveman he doesn't talk he just grunts and <laughs> yells and stuff like that um but the first episode is really good it it looks like have you ever seen a uh, venture brothers yes okay so it's kind of got that style though it's a little darker um so the first episode is basically this um caveman um and he they're dinosaurs um so not historically accurate <laughs> um <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, so they're dinosaurs. He's in the beginning of the the first episode, he's just fishing. And then he goes back to and he has a bunch of fish with him. He goes back to his camp and he sees these three um, T-Rexes in the camp and they they eat his family, basically. Um, So he goes nuts and he starts hunting them and uh, he finds them and they're then um killing another t-rex's family so these are red t-rexes and then there's a green one and they're eating the green ones uh like kids or whatever and that the the mother is like defending the kids and trying to save them and then he can sympathize because of what he's been through and then he saves uh he helps the the mom and then there's like a a gigantic t-rex that they have to take down together um it's it's a really cool um show. There's a lot of emotion and stuff in it because especially if you have kids because he's he has nightmares and things like that and he's always thinking about his kids. Um and then the second episode, the relationship between him and the T-Rex he helped um kind of grows and they're trying to figure out how to live together basically because she won't leave him. Um and and just stuff like that. It's, it's pretty cool. This is a weird sounding show. Yeah, it's, um, it's yeah. weird. Um, <laughs> my, my biggest question yeah. is how does a human hang in a T-Rex T-Rex battle? Oh, this guy like, is huge. Hmm. He, he looks like, like a physically huge or he's, I mean, well, he's like a, a really like, big muscular caveman dude. Um, I mean, but a, a T-Rex is huge. I know so. he was fighting smaller T-Rexes. These, these are um, like kids, but they're still big. I don't know. It's a cartoon. Um, <laughs> he, I mean, fair enough. Yeah. Like he, he's, he gets his ass kicked too. Um, but he, he survives it because the other T-Rex is also helping him. Hmm. So it's That's, cool. Yeah, I, don't, it, 
Like I could see if he was like smart and using, I don't know, like a sling or something. He's using weapons, but for the most part is just like brute strength because he's like angry. Mm. Um, He's just like, I don't know. I was going to say Liam Neeson, like trying to get revenge kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Liam Neeson crossed with Ronnie Coleman crossed with. I don't know the the berserker from Venture Bros with the mullet. <laughs> yeah, what's his name? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. He kind of looks like him, but like with a caveman haircut. Makes um, sense. So yeah, um, it's a caveman mullet. Yeah, the the animation is really <laughs> cool. I like that that the look uh, of the show, and um, it's kind it's cool. There's, uh, there's absolutely no dialogue in any of the episodes. Um, and it's cool to see the interactions between him and the dinosaur. The third episode uh, is really cool. There are mammoths involved. And um, there a lot of stuff goes down. Um, and it, I, I, I recommend it. It's pretty cool. I'm nice. Not, I don't know if I'm selling it, but it's worth watching. It's free on, My, uh, on Adult Swim if you have the app. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I'm sold. You got me at the low, low price of free. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I was originally trying. I was looking for the new episodes of um, Rick and Morty, but it wasn't on there okay. yet. And then that there was an ad for that. So I watched that instead. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I'm a huge Rick and Morty fan. So yeah. looking forward to that. Um, also, you mentioned Venture Brothers. Uh, is, is everybody aware that that's like a parody of Johnny Quest? Or am I the only one? I, I mean, I knew that. OK, OK. <laughs> No, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, know, I didn't that. know because you didn't. No. Have you ever seen Johnny Quest? No, I, maybe. I, let me Johnny you Quest. Might be too young Quest. for that. <laughs> oh yeah, I've I seen never it liked Johnny Quest, um, but I like Venture Brothers because, hmm. like, I don't know. I used to love Johnny Quest, and I watched like the old one, and then they had like a newer one where um, Race Bannon had a daughter, and she was like. Oh really? All actiony and yeah, yeah. Like she hung with Johnny Quest, and they both had like adventures. It was like the three of them. Um, I forget the the guy's Makes name. Makes sense. The show was all dudes before. Should have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, she she got in there and kind of mixed things up. But um, I don't know what that was called, Johnny Quest Adventures or something. But yeah, then Venture Bros came out, and I was like, this is like Johnny Quest, but on. I don't know, drugs. Basically. <laughs> it's, it's a just, great show. Like instead of race Bannon being like this cool, uh, James Bond character, but like American adventurer, Indiana Jones kind of thing. He's just like this hulking brute that just smashes through everything. And <laughs> it, the doctor is like super weird and creepy. And then the kids are just idiots. So yeah. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's a pretty funny show. But, and the, uh, what's uh, the, the, it's not moth. What's his, the the butterfly dude? Oh, I don't know. The, uh, I forgot his name. The bee man, or it's, a, it's like a whole. The villains are all wacky. Yeah, too, the so. villains are cool. They're they're funny. Uh, yeah. The one that made the most impression was the uh, the girl that had like the the man's voice, the really the really manly voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, was, that was always funny. Um. I don't know if we sold you on Venture Bros, Javier, but no, I'm, uh, I'm actually looking at I, on Google. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's pretty out there. Um, let us know if you like it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as far as me, uh, I've been playing Resident Evil Zero and Slay the Spire. 
Um, I've got like 30 hours in Slay the Spire at this point. I did finally beat it. I beat it with one character. Uh, it did not show me the true ending or like hmm. anything beyond like, oh, you beat the tower. And then it was kind of a, a non ending was like, that's but sucks. you didn't win. And then you have to like do it again <laughs> with the other characters. So I'm currently working through the second character trying to uh, to slay the spire yet again. Um, and then still playing Resident Evil uh, zero. Not impressed with it. Um, you don't like it? No, like if you can play two and three, just play those. Wait for four to get remastered. Play that, or even play just the HD version of four because that game is amazing. I'm so. surprised they're redoing four. I would have liked to see Code Veronica yeah. uh, get a remaster since that's like a direct sequel to two. Yeah, uh, three is kind of like happening at the same time as two. Um, and then one was all right, I guess. Uh, I, I played the one. remake of that. One and two, uh, I did okay with it. Yeah, but like compared to two and three, that using the new re engine or whatever from resident evil seven yeah. it's it's kind of hard to go back to the old uh version hmm. yeah. I, I gotta play I this game. i've never played the original three uh but i played Javier, you never played resident evil a lot no i never, never played it either oh so good oh man if you uh if you're into um action games and can zombie hang in a in a horror game like it's not a true horror game i, I don't feel because like it's those games action, are all about no. yeah yeah they're just like only about survival and it's usually no combat or very very low combat these are like there is totally combat and usually the deeper you get into the game like the more tools they give you access to so oh that sounds um, fun it kind of ramps up as the game goes and gets like more and more bombastic so <clears throat> yeah i really recommend those Resident Evil 2 and 3, fantastic. Check them out. Um, I don't think you can go wrong with either one. Yeah, for sure. Um, I have a lot of time, so I'll, I'll check one of them out. <laughs> Adventure Bros and Resident Evil. Yeah. Play some Resident Evil, and then when your heart rate's up and you're like, man, I can't go to sleep, watch some Adventure Bros. <laughs> That'll take the edge off, and then uh, you'll be good. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for the tip. Yeah, no problem. Cool. Well, <laughs> we can wrap it up there. Uh, thanks, Javier, for joining us. It was a blast having yeah, you. Yeah, thank huh. you. Thanks, Lee. Thanks, Eddie. Thanks for listening to the show. Uh, this is the part where I typically tell you to go leave us a review or follow us on Twitter or something, but I want to talk a little bit about what's coming up next for us. Uh, we've had a, a couple of months off, had a little break. Um, Eddie and I have been going through some stuff, uh, but things are starting to settle down now. And, you know, it's just been 2020 and world's upside down so we're uh we're trying to figure things out but for the podcast we're going to do something a little bit different going forward uh, we're going to start doing some shorter episodes so we're going to do about i think a half hour and try and keep it to that but we're going to do like a series so you know we're going to jump on a topic and, and kind of hit it from a couple different angles over a couple different episodes and uh, then move on to something else. So should be a little bit easier to listen to, I think. Uh, certainly be a lot easier for us to edit uh, and help us be and continue to be consistent in releasing. So uh, I look forward to any feedback that you have whenever you listen to that. Please let me know. Please reach out. Um, tell us how you feel. Uh, what we're going to be focusing on next week to kick this off is going to be breaking into the tech industry. So please check that out. Uh, and... We will still do the uh, the interview episodes, but we're going to kind of throw them in there either between the series or kind of whenever we need a break or something. So uh, there won't be too much change as far as that goes. But 
in any case, uh, that's all I got. Thanks for supporting the show, as always. Really appreciate it. I uh, hope you're doing well out there. hope you're surviving. Uh, be well and all the good thing uh, stuff. Jeez. All right. See you next week. Bye. <laughs>